This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Alexander City, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. Talking about the tabernacle of David, we're talking about the, that, as we've talked and discussed, that is what God said in the Old Testament, and he said it again in the New Testament. He established it in the old and in the new, that this was the house that he was going to rebuild. This was the house that had fallen down, and this is what he wanted to rebuild. And so we see that, and this is, this is why we um, have spent this summer teaching on this. Pastor asked us to teach on it, and uh, we are humbled and thrilled at the same time with the opportunity to share this with you all. And our scripture basis really comes from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. And we know that a few years ago, we had a man of God come and he spoke Amos 9, 13 to us, specifically out of the message. And, um, but prerequisite to that, leading up to what Amos 9, 13, go ahead and put Amos 9, 13 up. So just, we'll just do this much of a catch up here. This is what the man of God, the evangelist of the Lord, spoke to us. He said, yes, indeed, it won't be long now. God's decree. How many of y'all know when God decrees a thing, you can take that to the bank? Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will happening will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and the hills. Now, back up to verse 11. Now, this is what the man of God spoke to us. And we've had several different things spoken to us. And, you know, pastors have been speaking words that have been just straight from the mouth of God. And, um, but this is prerequisite. Everybody know what prerequisite means? This is what comes before and is required to happen before you get to what comes after. You've got to have the before, and then you get to after. So this is the before we come to the blessings falling off everywhere you look. Okay, But also on that judgment day, I will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces. I will repair the holes in the roof. Replace the broken windows. Fix it up like new. David's people will be strong again. Now, this is from the message. And the Amplified, it says it a little different. It says at the very end, it says, um, as in the days of old. Okay. So he's, Amos is painting a picture for us that we need to look back to when David's house was there. And... We've already talked about that, yes, there was, a, there was the throne of David. And we know that the throne of David goes on forever in Jesus Christ. Okay? But there was also something else besides the literal throne of David or the succession of David or the government of David or the judgment, and the, the throne that keeps going on through Jesus Christ. There was also the tabernacle, the house. It says it different ways. 
um, the house. So here it says the tabernacle. This is out of the Amplified, the tabernacle of David. And um, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David. This is from the Amplified. The fallen hutter booth and close up its breaches and I will raise it up, raise up its ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Excuse me, as, as in the days of old. Now, the days of old, he gives us it. And this is, I'm just taking you through a different train of thought here. The days of old that he's talking about is 9.13. Amos 9.13. That was what was going on when the tabernacle of David was in place. The, the ark of God was in the city of Jerusalem. And there were blessings going on everywhere. This was the, mo- the time of David and Solomon was the most prosperous time of Israel. Israel had come into its own. She was the, the nation of all nations. Everybody looked to Israel. I mean, stuff was going on in Israel. Everybody came there. Everybody wanted to go see what was going on because of what happened here in 9-11. And what, God, what Amos is talking about that he wants to rebuild, that was what was happening in the days of David, in the time of Amos 9.13, when blessings were flowing, paints a picture of what it looked like. What did it look like? That's what it looked like. As in the days of old, blessings everywhere you looked. Wine flowing off the mountains. I mean, it was good. It was good. It was good. So this paints a picture for us. And would you say with me that Amos 9.13 looks like what you would call an open windowed heaven? That paints the picture of an open-windowed heaven. It's good. Blessings everywhere. Things are happening. I mean, good stuff happening. That's what you would call an open-windowed heaven. An open-windowed heaven simply means access to God. Un- an open access, an unstoppable access, a nothing in between you and God access between God. Isn't that what open heaven means? I mean, isn't that the picture? An open windowed heaven means you have continued, unrestrained access to God. That's exactly what they had. They had an unrestrained, open access to God like never before, never before. That's what God wants to rebuild. That's what he's saying. I want to rebuild this so we can have that open windowed heaven and open access to God. It's a picture for us so that it allows God's Shekinah glory to come and dwell with us. Not the omnipresence of God. We can tend to get that confused sometimes. Omnipresence is God is everywhere. David said, I even go down into hell and there he'll be. I can't get away from him. He's everywhere. But God's Shekinah glory is something different than his omnipresence. It's the very essence of who he is. What he's all about. An open windowed heaven gets you access. Complete total access to that. Hallelujah. That's what he wants to happen here. That's what he's spoken that he wants to be here with us. Hallelujah. Excuse me, let me get a drink of water real quick.
So last week we started, and I talked about, we started talking about where this process of getting, coming up to this place, it paints a picture for us of what it looks like. What, what it, oh, it paints a picture for us. What, what, we are, what are we supposed to be doing? What's our part to play? How do we get involved in this? We need to know that. We need to know how we can actively participate and come alongside God in building this, in making this here now with us. So we begin to talk about that road. And it's a beautiful picture of the road that when David and the people of Israel came together and they went to Kareth Jerem, where the ark was, to go get it and bring it and put, put that ark, that presence of God, smack dab in the middle of his people. Right. Called it the road to his presence. And this is the road to his presence part two, and I don't even know if I'm going to get through all of that. Because I was telling Ron, stuff just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling inside of me. Um, <clears throat> God keeps just bring, developing layers and layers. But um, we're going to try and we're going to get through whatever we got through because Pastor said it, we could take our time <laughs> and make sure we get this all to them. And, um, you know, he told me one time I'd talk too fast. So I'm going to try to slow down and, you know, make sure that we get it all in and not rush. But I want to start, now, now last week we went, we, everybody, David and all the, everybody, all the boys in Israel, and everybody got together, and they went to have an ark party, and they went down to Kareth Jerem and got that ark, and we talked about, they put it on a cart, and had some oxen pull it, and everything was going pretty good, they thought it they had it made in the shade, and then they got to a bump in the road, and they found out that God had something else in mind. Now, one thing that I, I hope I made it clear last week, and I just want to reiterate this. God wanted to be caught. God wanted them to come get him. If, if he didn't want it, they would have never got the ark outside of Abinadab's house. They would have never got it from the house on the cart if God hadn't wanted his presence to be caught. His desire is always to be with you. His desire has never been to be separated from you. His desire has always been me with you and you with me and never anything in between us. But even with that desire so great, he wants us to know there's a way to do everything. God has an order to everything. God has a purpose to everything. God has a way for you and I. And it's not just all about him. It's about us too. It's about us. You know, we think, well, we got to do everything God way. Just uh, no. It's for us. It's for us. The reason why he wants us to do it his way, it's for our benefit. So we can have the blessings flowing off the mountains. So David... We got to the end of that. David, you know, Uzzah touched the ark and he died and David was upset. David was hurt. You can hear it in his voice, in my opinion. When in, in chapter, I'll go back real quick to 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 12. When it says, and David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me. 
Can you hear his heart? Can you hear the longing in his heart and the, the desperation there? I can hear that. I can hear and I can almost feel him quivering inside because he's so, he so desired this. He knew, he knew he was on the right track. He knew he was on the right track. He knew that this was what God wanted. And he, and he was like, well, I, I thought I did. I, I thought we were together in this. I thought we were in sync, me and you, God. And, and now my friend is dead. And I don't know how to get you here with me. I don't know how to do it. So David and the whole host of Israel retreated back. And we pick up chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles. Now this is also recorded in Samuel. But I like it. I think it kind of gets in a little bit more involved in chapter 15. And I'm not sure if I'm just going to read the whole chapter all at once. I'm just going to let the Lord lead. Okay? But chapter 15, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified. David made for himself houses in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then, and I'm just, I think I will just go ahead and read through the whole thing, and then we're going to come back and break it down. Then David said, None should carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites. Now, y'all just hang in with me. There's lots of names in this chapter. And we probably won't say them right, but you can read for yourself. Okay? And the sons of Kohath, Uriel, the chief, with 120 kinsmen, of the sons of Merari, Merari, whatever, Asiah, the chief, with 220 kinsmen, of the son of Gershom, Joel the chief, with 130 kinsmen. Of the sons of Elisaphan, Shemaiah the chief, with 200 kinsmen. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, with 80 kinsmen. Of the sons of Uziel, Amminadab the chief, with 112 kinsmen. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests. And for the Levites, Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Amminadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God, Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. For because you bore it not, as God directed at the first, the Lord our God broke forth upon us, because we did not seek him in the way he ordained. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of God, the God of Israel. The Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles as Moses commanded by the word of the Lord. David told the chief Levites to appoint their brethren, the singers, with instruments of music, harps, lyres, and cymbals to play loudly and lift up their voices with joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, and his brethren, Asaph, son of Barachiah, Barachiah, something, and of the sons of Moriah, their brethren, Ethan, sons of Cushiah, and with them, their brethren of the second class, Zechariah, Ben, Jezreel, Sheremoth, Jehel, Umni, Eliabab, Beniah. I don't know why they couldn't have named somebody. Fred, Mark, Sam, <laughs> Joe, Bob. That would have been so much better. But all of those names. So the singers, Heman, Haman, Asaph, and Ethan, those are pretty easy, were appointed to sound bronze cymbals. 
and all the rest of them there played the harps resembling guitars set to Alamoth, probably the treble voice, Matthiah, Eliphiel, Ninalalalal, Obed-Edom, and all those names, set to Shemineth, the bass voice, and Chenina, leader of the Levites in singing, was put in charge of carrying the ark and lifting up song. He instructed about these matters because he was skilled and able. Berechiah and Elkna were gatekeepers for the ark, and all the rest of them came, and the priests were to blow the trumpet before the ark, and Obed-Edom and Jeliel were also gatekeepers of the ark. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And when God helped the Levites who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord with a safe start, they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were the Levites who bore the ark and the singers, and Chenina, the director of music of the singers. David also wore an ephod and priestly upper garment of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, sound of cornet, trumpets, and cymbals, sounding aloud with harps and lyres, as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, David's wife, daughter of Saul, looking from a window, saw King David leaping as in sport, and she despised him in her heart. So we can see at the very first of this, David retreats for three months. And during those three months, he was seeking God's will. He didn't do that the first time, if you noticed. He just decided... And it was a good thing, and he got everybody together, and he asked the people, well, let's go do this, and everybody thought that was a good thing. Well, he decided this time, I'm going to talk to God about this. I'm going to seek God's face. And it says, and you can tell, because he prepared a place. He prepared a place. When you prepare something, there's a process that's going to come forth in pre preparation of that. So David prepared it, a place, and you can tell that he did that because later on down in this chapter, he tells them, this is what we found out, boys. This is what we found out. We've got to do it this way. We've got to look at the Word of God and see what the will of God and the way of God is. <clears throat> First of all, David got his heart right. First of all, David prepared his own heart. He got himself in tune and in line with God. And he heard from God. And he got with the Levites and he said, you need to do the same thing. You need to sanctify yourself. Skip down to verse 12. This is what David said to them. You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. Both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, that I, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because, for because you bore it not as God directed at the first, the Lord God broke forth upon us. Because we did not seek him in the way he ordained. There's a specific way to seek the Lord. You've got to seek Him and His due order. What does He have to say about it? What is His way of doing things? 
He told them to sanctify themselves. Every time you see that the ark ever moved, God, the priests had to sanctify themselves. They had, to, they had the blood, the water, and the oil they had to go through. They had to put the blood on the right thumb, on the right ear, and the right big toe. The blood cleansed them. The water washed them. And then the, whole, the oil anointed them for the service of carrying the Lord. He told them to sanctify themselves. I talked last week about we have to prepare ourselves. This is a picture for us. This is a picture for us. The priests were going to be the ones. He told them, he said, we didn't do it right the first time. The priests are the only ones supposed to carry the ark. Not a new cart. It's not to be pulled with oxen. Only the priests are supposed to carry the ark. Only the leaders, only the ones that have been set apart. Sanctification is to set yourself apart, to bring yourself out from among and set yourselves apart in service to God. Those of us who are, this is painting a picture for us today. And I'm going to talk about it this way. We, those of us who are leaders of this house, leaders, the Ark of the Covenant was carried on the priest's shoulders, the leaders of Israel. Carried on their shoulders. They sanctified themselves. It comes, it starts from the head. It started from David, did it not? The king. He sanctified himself. He got himself in line with God. He got himself in position to hear from God. And then he told the next in line, the leaders, the priests, to get themselves sanctified and ready for the presence of God. Because they had to carry the presence of God Amen. from Obed-Edom up to Jerusalem. It's a type and a picture for us as leaders. We've got to sanctify ourselves. We've got to separate ourselves apart. We've got to answer to the call of God that's on our lives, the position God has put us in, to set ourselves apart, to prepare us to carry the presence of God, to have the presence of God come sit down on us. He's not going to sit down on our carts. He's not going to sit down on anything of our own making. He will only sit down on in sanctified bodies. Amen. Set apart unto him. We are the leaders. And in case you, I'm not going to leave the rest of you out. The word of God in the New Testament says, if you are a Christian, if you've been saved, you're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. Yes. Yes. So it comes from the, the head, the leader, the king, the pastor, to the leaders, and then to the rest of us. All of us have our part to play. Can't nobody sit back in a position of spectator. We're all called to this. If you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, God wants to sit down on you. Sit down in you. Build a place in you for His presence to dwell. And then when we come together as a body, He will come and join us. And sit down in our presence. Sit down with us. With us. <clears throat> a prepared life. You know, that's what he's talking about. That's what this, this whole journey is a prepared life. 
is a journey of preparation for the presence of God. This whole road is a picture of a preparation that we're to go through. Preparation. Every step of the way was a preparation for the presence of God. So, the presence, so when they got to Jerusalem, the presence could sit down with them and stay there. And as the Levites, okay, let's go. Um, so the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves, this is verse 14, to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. The Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles as Moses commanded by the word of the Lord. Shoulders represents the government. Responsibility. We see that in, in the word of God. Shoulders is the representation of the, the, the government shall be upon his shoulders, right? That's what the word of God says. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, if Jesus is the head and we're the body, who's got the shoulders? The body's got the shoulders. The body has the shoulders. You and I carry that. You and I carry the responsibility of taking the presence of God. You and I bear that responsibility of carrying the presence of God on our shoulders as the body of Christ. It's our responsibility to carry that on us. The Levites carried the ark on their shoulders. David told the chiefs of the Levites, okay, now we're going to skip over the singers. They're important, but I'm going to get, paint this picture fully through with the Levites. So skip down to um, verse 25. So David, the elders of the Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of, out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. With joy. They were finally, they, I believe that they, they knew. David had a knowing, I believe, in his heart. I've heard from God. I've been with him for the past three months. Me and him, we are in sync. And he's given me a vision. He's given me a plan. He's shown me his will. He's shown me his way. He's shown me his due order. He's shown me what the Levites need to do. He's shown me to get all the singers together. He's shown me to get all the trumpet players. He's shown me the exact procession that he wants to go in. We'll get to that later. He's shown me exactly how he's got this laid out. I know I, and they had joy in their hearts. They were finally going to go get the ark of God that had been absent for a hundred years. The ark of God was finally coming to be with the people. And they had joy in their hearts. It would, if it didn't so, it wouldn't have said it. And when God helped the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with a safe start, they offered seven bulls and seven rams. Now, there are two schools of thought here. I looked up several different translations, and none of them have a clear-cut explanation. Some people, some theologian scholars say that it was every six steps that they went on this road, which is an average about 10 miles, something like that from where Obed-Edom's house, that's just an arbitrary mark. It was anywhere from 7 to 14. So we just kind of kick the difference, about 10 miles. From Obed-Edom up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Some scholars believe that it was every six steps 
that they stopped, every six paces they stopped and offered uh, sacrifices. Um, the Amplified gives the impression that it was the first six steps out of the house of Obed-Edom, they stopped, they offered the seven rams and the seven bulls, and then they continued on without stopping every six steps. Now, either way, there were sacrifices made. Either way, there were six paces gone. And, you know, as I was uh, talking to the Lord about this, about, you know, pastors always talking about numbers. And six, we know, is the number of man. And it's significant that they took six steps, six paces before they stopped, before they took that seventh, that seventh step, and they offered sacrifices. They covered themselves in blood. They offered the sacrifices of seven bulls and seven rams. Seven is the number of God. They were They were preparing and doing exactly what they needed to do to make sure they were covered. They were offering sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices, offerings of praise and glory to God, covering themselves, covering the mess of man in the blood so that when they took that seventh step into the perfect will of God, into His perfect, they were covered. And God would bless Every step after that, every step as they bore up under the heaviness of the weightiness of the presence of God, they had prepared themselves, hallelujah. They were covered in the blood and they, they were sanctified and covered in His blood so that they could carry the presence of God. They could carry it without fear. Hallelujah. Significant for us. That number six, you know, and as I was thinking about that, you know, and I was talking about relating that to us, you know, we have six days during the week, don't we? We have six days to prepare, six days to stay before the Lord, six days to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, six days to separate ourselves. Six days during the week that God has given us and, and to offer ourselves as a sacrifice unto God before we come in here together on the seventh day, the day of the Lord, to receive His blessing, to be together as a body, to have God sit down with us. It's important that we understand that they took six paces and that they prepared before they ever took the seventh step. Before they ever took the seventh step. You and I have to do that spiritually. This is painting a picture. It's painting a picture of us preparing ourselves for the presence of God. For God's presence to sit down among us. We've got to do the same thing. If David had to do it, we got to do it. If we want the presence of God in our lives, we've got to do it. We've got to do His due order. <clears throat> this paints a picture of us. I don't know if you can get this picture. Even, you know, even if they did go every six steps and then offer a sacrifice, every six steps 
they, it was a bloody, sweaty mess. They, didn't, they, they, were, they were laboring to bring in the presence of God. They were laboring to bring in His presence. You and I can do no less than labor to bring in the presence of God. You know, I, I can see them. They must have been a sweaty, smoky, bloody uh, group of people. By the time they got to the ark, even if they only offered for the first six times, you ain't never, you can't sacrifice something which you don't get bloody. Which you don't get blood everywhere, all over you and all over everything else. <clears throat> you and I, and, and, and this, this translates as sweat equity. <laughs> I love that. Some sweat equity. Anybody know what sweat equity is? Anybody ever put any sweat equity into anything? You know, you don't, you don't go to work and just sit on your laurels and do nothing, do you? It, I don't know any job that pays you for doing nothing. It, sweat is the transference here on earth of value. It carries value with it. You know, you work by the sweat of your brow. You go to work and you, you maybe you sit at a computer, but you slay your sweat. You put sweat equity into whatever it is that you're doing so that you can get, you traded that for the value of what you, you understand? You're trading the value of it. It has value attached to it. $15 an hour, $10 an hour, whatever it is, it has that, that value is attached to your sweat equity. Whatever you put into it has a value that's transferred back. It's, and in this case, it's, it's transferred from your heart to God's heart. That sweat equity that you put into it, whatever you put into it, whatever in your life that you offer to God is your sweat equity that you're putting into it so that you can get the return of His presence out of it. Amen. We've got to do the same thing. The priests did this as they traveled this road. I, I, you know, that as I explained last week, this ark had to be one heavy thing. Gopher wood covered everywhere in gold. It was heavy. Gold ain't light. Gold is heavy. And they walked 10 miles with this ark on their shoulders. They put into some labor in carrying the presence of God and getting the presence of God to the city of Jerusalem. You and I are do, can do no less. It's a laborious thing. The presence of God is weighty. It's heavy. It will cause us to have a sweat value in our lives. And David learned this. He learned in this instance. We see it evidenced later in his life. In his hunger for the presence of God. That if he didn't offer God something, it had to cost him something if he was going to offer it to God. It had value attached to it. It was going to cost him something. He didn't offer anything to God that didn't cost him something. The things that we go through on our six days of life, every day of our lives, the things that, that, that come to us that we've got to sweat through, we've got to labor through and offer up our sacrifices of praise to him, cause the sweat equity in the realm of the spirit that God values. 
He, or else he would not have said, in all things give thanks. In all things give praise. For this is the will of God. Why is it the will of God that we give him praise and thanks in all things? Because it has value attached to it. And it translates to God. And it means something to God. When through our stuff, we can praise him, magnify him, glorify him, honor him, give him thanks and praise and worship him through all of our stuff. He says, It means something to God. We value Him above our stuff. We value Him. He's the most important thing in our life. We've got a hunger after Him that no matter what we're going through, no matter what is happening in our lives, we're going to glorify Him. We're going to run after hard after Him. We're going to chase hard after Him. We're not going to let anything stop us. We're going to put some sweat equity into this thing. We value His presence. We're not going to let anything stand between us and His presence. No matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what distracts us, no matter what vies for our attention, no matter what pulls at us, God is what matters. He is our source. We want His presence with us. That was the significance of this. The sweat value and equity that was offered in this journey from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. God valued it. It meant something to him. We're to seek him first and live our lives for him and not ourselves. That's a prepared life. That's living a prepared life. We seek him first. Isn't that what the New Testament says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added. Seek Him first. That's a prepared life. Setting everything, everything that so easily besets us and distracts us. Put our attention on Him and seek Him first. That's a prepared life. That's what these priests were doing. They were preparing the way. Preparing themselves for the presence of God. Through this journey. This is where the sweat of obedient and repentant worship shows up. Obedient and repentant. What did David say? He said, the sacrifices of God were a broken and contrite heart and spirit. Isn't that what he said? Maybe not just like that, but that's what he said. And those sacrifices he will not turn away from. Those are the sacrifices that draw him. Those are the sacrifices that are a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Those are the sacrifices that cause smoke. You know, that's what the priest did back in the tabernacle of Moses. He had to stick his hand, wave his censer around in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place, and make some smoke before he could ever go in. That's what we do when we offer up ourselves. That's what we do when we have a broken and a contrite heart and a spirit before God. An obedient, repentant heart of worship. It's like making smoke. It's like making smoke for the presence of God. 
covers us so that we can, we're accessible to him. That's why the briefs were a smoky mess when they got there. A bloody, smoky, sweaty process and journey bringing the ark of God. If you, th- I said this last week, if you think you can get God's presence cavalierly, just any old way, do your own thing all week long, never give God a thought except five minutes in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. I woke up. Bless God. Let's go. That God can't come and sit down on that. This paints a picture. Can you see the picture? The arduous journey this was. I mean, have, you, have any of y'all ever been in a parade? Anybody ever marched in a parade with a band? Been in the band? Marched in a parade? Was any of the parades you were in 10 miles long? I never was in a 10-mile long one. I mean, Freeport wasn't that big. <laughs> the, all the singers, everybody, the whole procession was about 10 miles long. And they were playing the whole way. They were singing the whole way. They were dancing the whole way. The priests were carrying this heavy ark. The whole way. Under this arduous journey. Sweating out. Preparing a place for God to come and sit. But with joy and gladness in their hearts. Because it was worth it to them. Is it worth, is it worth to us? What is it worth to be in you? What is it worth to us? Is the presence of God worth a sweaty, bloody, arduous preparation of our own lives? What value do you want to put on the presence of God? What value? What is it of value? Your sweat equity, what you put in this, will tell God how much you value him and his presence. It told God right here, they mean business. They mean business. They want me bad. How bad do we want him? What are we willing to do? What value are we willing to place upon the presence of God and having him sit down in his Shekinah glory with us? What does it mean to you? That's what this journey was all about. And you and I have got to ask ourselves that question. What value is it? Does it mean anything? Let me tell you, God valued you. He placed such a high value on me and you that he sent Jesus to give everything he had. That was, you mean, you mean Jesus to him. You mean Jesus to him. That's your value. 
What value do you return to him? No wonder when they got, I loved that time when pastor preached on David and he did the David dance, you know, up here. I don't know how he did it, but he did that David dance, you know, you know. No wonder David was a twirly, not twirly, but, you know, spinning, let's say that, spinning, a spinning, jumping fool in the eyes of the people, fool in, in Michael's eyes. But in God's eyes, he's like, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's the man I knew he was going to be. I saw him when he was a shepherd boy. I heard the songs of his heart when he was a shepherd boy taking care of the sheep and looked at him. It don't make a difference to him what anybody thinks about him. He wants me and he's dancing and he don't care what anybody thinks about him. He values me. And because David valued him, God established his line forever. And he said, I want to rebuild that house. I want to be rebuild that house that values me. I want to rebuild that house that I mean something to them. David came into that city. He was so happy. Finally. The ark was at home. Finally, the presence of God was home. Phew. And it came through the worship, the sweat equity of broken and contrite hearts through their sacrifices of praise and worship during this journey. That's how it came. It ain't coming any other way. The presence of God, the blood of Jesus, gives us access to the throne. But worship attracts God. Worship, this kind of sweat equity worship attracts God, that's what he's attracted to. You know, we'll talk about this later, but in John chapter 4, the only thing God seeks is those that will worship him in spirit and truth. He don't say he's seeking anything else. You know that? That's what he seeks. He found it in David, and it became his favorite house. The one he liked the best. The one that had the best memories. His best memories. <laughs> Any of y'all got a house that has your best memories? Good times there, right? It's what David's tabernacle was, the house of his best memories. His most favorite time. That's what he wants to rebuild, his favorite house. This road of preparation gives us a picture of what needs to go on in our lives, how we prepare that place 
so that God can come and sit down with us. Sit down in our presence. Sit down amongst us. A prepared people. People of prepared lives that God's glory can sit down in. That's his heart. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.